At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that at any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Brendan Kumarasamy, man, where do I begin? I guess I'll start by saying that if you missed part one of my interview with Brendan, then go check that out first. Okay, if you're still here, let me say that every once in a while, you meet someone that changes your life. For me, Brendan is one such person. He is brilliant. He is funny, and he's incredibly gifted. And if you listen to part one, then you likely agree. But the reason that Brendan changed my life is because over the last three weeks, we've gotten to know each other really, really well through the power of the incredible platform Clubhouse. You see, Brendan's a superb moderator. We've gotten a chance to moderate several rooms together. And through that process, we've grown our friendship exponentially. And I know this is only just the beginning. I'm excited to see where our friendship goes and who knows what we'll collaborate on next. As you may recall, during part one of our interview, we talked about his life story and the insights that he's gained from being a student of some of the most prolific thought leaders of our time. In this episode, we tap into his superpower, which is mastering the art of communication. We dissect what makes a great speaker and how they're able to clearly convey concepts and ideas in a way that makes an impact. If you're somebody that wants to hone your ability to communicate, then this episode is for you. I'm absolutely thrilled to share this, so let's jump straight in to the conversation. What a perfect transition into us talking about speaking. You've said, and I agree with this, that if you have an idea worth sharing. Public speaking is the element that allows you to scale those ideas. I just mentioned a moment ago that your mission is to democratize information on public speaking so that 
all the change makers that exist today and in the future will have free access to effectively communicate. So you've described this as you building this death star of communication and your thesis and, and kind of what your whole mission is centered around is that you want to create a world where no one is afraid of public speaking. So let's dive in and all that I'm giving you, that's you, man. I'm parroting back what you've said because you get to say it a lot. And so I want you to hear it because it's really, really powerful. The reason it's powerful is because sometimes it helps to listen. So let's talk about listening. How does one master the art of listening? Right. So listening, I don't want to bore your audience too much with this. We all know listening is important. So instead, what I'm going to say is what's the technique that nobody knows on how to get better with listening? Most people think, Billy, that by having real conversations in the real world, that is the best way to listen to somebody. I believe that is wrong. Even in this conversation we're having now, it's not a great way for me to practice listening because I'm listening to you. And, and I appreciate everything you're saying, by the way. But the other part of it is like, well, I actually got to answer. Right? I have to give like value to the audience. So it's not the best space to listen. But the people who are listening to this conversation right now, that is the best way to listen. Why? Because the conversation, as you already know, is already over. They couldn't reply even if they wanted to. Obviously, you're happy to message me and talk about it. But like in this conversation, in this moment, they can't intervene, which forces them to just listen and take notes. That applies to me too. I was a terrible listener and still am to a certain degree. I got better over the years. But I think what made me improved over time is I would watch seven, 10 hours of podcasts every week, mostly Lewis's show and other people. And I would just listen. It was like hour long conversation. I would just take notes on my phone. And that's how I got better. So the, the summary is listen to conversations that have happened in the past and that's the best way to master listening at scale. Dude, so right, man. I mean, I think all too often we are so focused on what we are going to say next. Therefore, we are not listening to what's being said in the conversation. And what you've just highlighted is this concept of putting yourself in a situation where you can't respond even if you wanted to. And I love that insight. I think it's a brilliant insight. I also love the insight of all this opportunity, this wide open blue ocean of content that exists out there that will allow you to do just that. Podcast is a great example because let's face it, you can listen to a podcast and really embrace everything without the need because you can't have you don't have anyone to communicate, you don't have to respond. Another thing that you highlight is that public speaking is kind of like going on a blind date. Why is that? Yeah, I haven't said that in many podcasts. That's interesting. Yeah, so so the way the reason why I say that sometimes is because like a blind date you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know in the same way in a case competition or a set, you don't know who's going to be in the room, you know who the audience are, but your job in that one moment in time is to do the best that you can so that when you leave that date in that room, people want to see you more. People want to hear more from you. And to tie this back into the speech I always give people before, but when I was a gladiator, or rather a dictator, that's probably more accurate, in those case competitions, I, was always, I would always tell them the following, okay? I would, I would tell them this. I would say, every other university are just there for fun. Mm -hmm. They're going to go to this presentation, present to these judges, have a good time, and that's it. But you, you have spent the last four months of your life practicing day in, day out for these judges. These judges 
are not here for fun. They spend their Saturdays with you. Instead of spending time with their families, their loved ones, they're spending it with you, with your group of students, all of you. So what are you going to do with that time? What, how are you going to use that time so that when you walk in the room and you walk out, they're begging you to work for them? They're begging their teacher to ask them what university the school is from. And that choice is yours to make. So make it well. That's what I used to tell them. But anyways, bringing this back to the date, same thing. If you're not paying attention to what the other person is saying, if you're not making every moment feel special, if you're not asking thoughtful questions, and you're always looking at the waitress or next, next instead of paying attention to your date, well, you're not making a good impression. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the kind of the analogy I like to use. I think there's so many parallels. It's staggering. And it, you know, first impressions and just the fact that you have this shot, right? This shot to really impress somebody that you haven't met before. And nine times out of 10, you don't know the audience you're speaking to. One of the things you highlight, which I really found this interesting, is this idea that we have to, when we think of getting good at something, you talk about preparation, you say that we should practice repeatable presentations because all too often people are trying to do a hundred different presentations and not getting good at one presentation. And what your argument is, is that the best presenters are great at a few presentations and they just do them over and over and over again. They're relentlessly practicing to the point where it hurts hundreds and hundreds of times, allowing themselves to get incrementally better. So when did you come to this realization and maybe provide a little bit more color into why you feel having a repeatable presentation is so vital? Right. It definitely started in my case comps, case competition. Sorry, that's the kind of the short word for it. When I noticed that a lot of the best speakers, or rather why everyone was getting better so quickly. Because at the end of the day, even if the case, the company changes, it's always the same format. You got to do an analysis. You got to do financial statements. Like It's not going to change. Only the solution you propose and how that strategy is being put out is going to change. That's it. Right? Rest is the same. That's when I really started to get an understanding that it's the fact that the format is always the same that makes you better. Mm-hmm. Think about your podcast. right? When you started Inside Out, talk to me about episode one versus episode now out oh, of man. 10. How, how good are you now, <laughs> relatively speaking? It's staggering. And I didn't think at the time that there would be as big a gap as there is today. But yeah, I mean, I've completely changed it. It's changed. I've changed there's, it's not the same show in any way, shape, or form. Right. So relatively speaking, you'd argue that 12 out of 10, right? Relatively speaking, to where you started to now. But as the point is, I'm not saying you're a 12 out of 10 communicator. I'm saying relatively speaking. Relative. Start, yeah, that's what I mean. Right, Dora, gotcha, you're still okay. a five. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, actually, yeah, you're, you're actually not bad. But I'm the six, point, six and a half. <laughs> the point that I'm driving is why did you get better so quickly? Because the format doesn't change. Sure, I'm going to change. You know, the next person probably won't be sitting on a mattress while he's talking to you. But every other person who comes after me, right, you know, like the Lewis House of the world, the, you know, the big superstars, you're still doing the same amount of research. You might do a bit more, but it's the same format. You want to tee them up for a question, say the question, do this, do this, and then it's over. That's why you're getting better. And another example I can give from the celebrity world, Tony Robbins. He's been doing the same seminar. UPW, Unleash the Power Within, for 40 years. Crazy. 40. Right? The example I like to give, let's say me and you, we went to a Tony Robbins seminar this weekend. He comes up to you and he goes, Billy, 
you know what, man? I've been talking about this mindset stuff for 40 years. You want to talk about porcupines this weekend? <laughs> You're like, no, Tony. I spent $2,000 to be here with Brendan. I don't want you to talk about porcupine. I want you to talk about the same thing that you talked about everyone else with. Give me the same stuff. Because that's the expectation we have of the best speakers in the world. Period. We need to apply that same logic to our own presentations. So the key to mastery is to do what I call the repeatable presentation. Pick one topic, one idea that you're really passionate about and repeat it. So for you, Billy, that's simple, right? It's your own podcast. You make a presentation on Inside Out so that you can share the world leaders, the thought provokers, the people who are trying to make a difference in the world and share all those insights for us to chew on. Simple, something like that. And then over time, you get better at communicating that podcast. But even if you're not a content creator, you're, you're looking at me you're like, Brendan, I work at a bank, nine to five. What do I do? Well, you probably love to do something outside of work. Maybe it's a kid's leadership program that you're coaching. Maybe it's gardening. Maybe it's the kids that you raise. Pick one of those subjects, make a presentation around that and present it to three people. Right, so classic examples, Julia works at a nine-to-five bank. She loves coaching marketing, kids' leadership program. She makes a presentation about marketing, but it's always the same one, which is fine because the ideas stay the same, but the kids always change. Mm. Well, it's interesting that you brought up what you brought up and that there are people out there who are either that are listening to this show or, or that aren't and that, that are in a nine-to-five, many would consider a standard lifestyle and and to them, it may be the perfect lifestyle. But what you suggest is that everyone, and I'm kind of diverting away from speaking for a moment because you just made me recall this is every human should be focused on two problems that they should solve. I love that, man. And it's so simple yet powerful. What are the two problems you're solving? We already know one of them, but the other one you could get into, but why do you feel that philosophy is a good one to apply in our lives? Absolutely. So this idea of problem solving is actually fairly simple, Billy. What I've learned from people like Scott Harrison from Charity Water or other thought leaders is a very different question, which I guess is one of the questions we can add to the tally, which is the following. What is the world's easiest problem to solve? It shocks me that nobody asks the simple question. I'm not saying you need to find the perfect answer, but just that thought experiment helps you be a lot more objective which problems to focus on. Because here's the situation right now. We're all divided. We all seem to hate each other. Even if we all still eat the same burgers, the same cupcakes, and watch the same shows on Netflix, you know, with the election coming up soon, it's, it boggles my mind. I'm like, why don't we sit everyone down and go, okay, everyone, do you think everyone should have access to clean drinking water as an example? Well, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or something in between, or something outside of the states, you're going to say, well, yeah, that makes sense to me. So let's figure it out. So for me, my focus is simple. Solve two problems. One that you're uniquely positioned to solve, that you take ownership of, which nobody does in society, which also drives me crazy. And the second problem is the world's easiest problem. So number one is that, so for me, public speaking just happened to be my gift. I honed on it quite a bit. Had a lot of lucky serendipitous events and a lot of great partnerships and friendships that helped me become the person I am today. Public speaking was my thing. I dived into it. But the thing I want to emphasize with that before I move on to the second one is if I fail, if I do not democratize the world's information on communication, 
I will take ownership of that. I'll take personal responsibility, even if the world isn't really holding me accountable to it. I'm holding myself accountable to it and saying, if I don't do it, I lose. Right? That's one part. Mm. Second part, I found through years of researching this, and I started doing this when I was 19, just looking at different nonprofits, all the different problems. And I'm not going to sugarcoat this in the sense that it, you know it's hard to pick the world's easiest problem. It's hard to pick human trafficking over domestic violence and all that stuff, but it's the only way that we can solve something. And the more objective, the more cold we are about this, even if it's not scientifically based, we can actually solve it. Because once it's solved, we can focus on the next thing and put lots, those same smartness on less amount of problems mm-hmm. and kill all the harder ones. So for me, it, it ended up being the water crisis because I realized that the uh, getting access to clean drinking water for the remaining 10% of the population on earth, because 10% of people still drink dirty water every day, which is crazy if you think about it, is mind-bogglingly insane, but also easy to solve relative to all the other problems. Mm -hmm. It's still tough, but relative to everything else. And the reason it's easier is because it's an infrastructure problem. We already have the technology to solve for that. And Scott's a good example with what he does with charity water because he's raised $330 million to solve this problem. And he's gotten access for 10 million people around the world. But for those who are counting, that's almost 2% of the global problem. As one organization, he got to almost 2%. That is crazy. So when I saw those numbers, I said, oh, I got to focus my attention on this because this is a problem I can solve in my lifetime. And the same way Elon thinks about the different companies, and he's like, based on the timing of the tech, which technology should I be focusing on and which problem should I be solving? Mm. And just because it's an easy problem to solve doesn't mean that it's not big in scope because clearly helping the world gain access to clean water is a big problem to solve, but it's also something that is solvable. And if one human being, and they're granted it's not just him, it's his organization, it's people like you who are huge advocates for not only his company, but for his book and what you've done effectively is create awareness for this problem, which then can help other people understand why they should in some way become involved. Another thing that kind of transitioning back into the speaking realm is this idea of like a founder, right? You've really honed your value proposition and what what you stand for, right? We talked about that earlier in our conversation and you highlight just how important it is for a business owner, an entrepreneur, a founder to be really good at being able to explain what they do in a single sentence. So one, why do you feel that's the case? Two, what's your suggestion for somebody who's listening to this that maybe doesn't have that now? How should they go about forming that? Great. So the idea of the one sentence is simple, especially if you're a technology founder or any type of founder, business owner, or idea, idea owner, so to speak. Understand that pitching and sharing your idea has very, very little to do with presentations. It's every interaction you have customers, investors, stakeholders, your family is a stakeholder. How do you explain your idea in a way that they get it, that they want to buy into what you're actually doing so that they support you financially, you know, with your time, all of that. And of course, employees, how do you inspire new people to work for you? If you can't explain your idea in one sentence, it's very hard for you to gain traction on your ideas. Gary Tan, who's the co-founder of Initialize Capital, started this VC fund very successful. He was like an early investor in Coinbase and Instacart. He says this very well, and I love it. He argues that the breakthrough is half the journey. 
Just because you have a great idea doesn't mean anything if you can't scale that idea and if nobody knows anything about that idea. And mm-hmm. I can use Airbnb as an example here. There's two ways of explaining Airbnb. You can either say that it's a marketplace where buyers and sellers gather to exchange real estate spaces within different investment properties and then pay each other financial assets to profit and create a win-win for both parties. Or you could say Airbnb is a way to rent out the extra room in your house to make a bit more money. Because at Airbnb, we believe that everyone belongs anywhere. Whether you're in Germany and you take a flight to China, whether you're in China and you take a flight to Russia, we want to create a world where every single person, every single human being feels right at home. That's a lot more clear. Obviously, that wasn't one since I was kind of just showboating a bit there. But I think the key that I really want to drive is Airbnb, what they've done so well as an organization, I just like using them as an example here, is paying people money to sleep in a stranger's house is not a new concept. That existed before with HomeAway and VRBO. But what they understood at scale from that one sentence and how they communicate is the messaging branding perspective, which is the following. The only way to scale is by increasing the level of trust on the platform. And if they mastered trust, which they did very well as designers by trade, they were able to gain the insight they needed to become the success that they are today. That insight can never be found if you don't communicate your idea simply enough to enough people because you won't get enough information back to you as to how to communicate this idea better. Mm-hmm. So now part two, using them exam- as an example again, which you asked me about, which is if I don't have that one sentence, what do I do? What the boys did from Airbnb is when they were getting started, they flew out to New York and met their first 100 users, the first people, the first hosts. And they still don't really know. They, I mean, back then, they still wanted to serve breakfast every morning. some weird idea. <laughs> it's just crazy stuff. But when they were talking to each of these individual people, they started to realize why the platform mattered. So for example, rent's really high in New York. So you got, I don't know, single mom, Laura, who's having trouble paying the bills. But now with Airbnb, She's a lot more relaxed. She actually has savings in the bank account. Life is great because, well, she has that extra money from Airbnb. It's those stories that made the founders realize the importance of their work, but also how big the opportunity was. So a question you can ask yourself to the people who are using your products, to your investors, to all of the stakeholders is the following. If you were to re-explain my idea back to me, how would you explain it? And if they don't explain it in the way that you want them to, it means the way that you're explaining it is wrong. I'll use myself as an example here. Let's say I talk to the six-year-old and I go, you know, Laura, I'll just use Laura again. Laura, what, what, what do you think I do? And she goes, oh, you're like a YouTuber. And I just go, yeah. So what, what kind of YouTube videos do I make? Uh, speaking. That's exactly how I want her to explain my idea. That's perfect. And then someone who's maybe you, would you know talk about the thesis behind Dale Carnegie and how he didn't have access, blah, blah, blah. But if you explain it the way I want you to, it means I'm explaining my idea to you correctly. If you're saying different words that don't that are completely different, and you go, uh, well, I think it's more like a movement or something, you shouldn't go back to them and say, you're wrong. You should be taking notes because they're actually telling you how to explain your idea back to them. Mm, that's really powerful, man. I love that insight. And I think you're touching on something that I think all too often people are afraid to do, which is the interaction with their customers, not only to hear them, but to embrace what's coming from them and allowing you to not say, oh, you are 
telling me wrong, but actually, as you said, taking notes. Another thing that you advocate for in delivering a message effectively is the art of pregnant pause, some people call it, using the art of silence, because all too often people are trying to fill up everything. Uh, 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 um, uh, uh. And I know I have those filler words. We all have them. What's your advice for somebody that wants to be able to pause and allow their presentation to shine with much more gusto than if they just rattle through it? And why is that important too? Yeah, of course. Pausing is the foundation of public speaking. Pausing signals to your audience, Billy, at which points they should be paying attention to. So now as I pause, and I tell you how important the pause is, notice how I'm pausing at the right moments so that you know as the audience to say, oh, this is where this moment matters. This is where I should be paying more attention to. So how do we master this? Let's start by understanding why most people don't. The reason is because of how we grew up in the education system. So let's say you're a 15-year-old kid, because most of our presentations are mandatory, right? We don't wake up one morning and go, hey, Billy, you want to get some breakfast, man, and present all day? Like Nobody says that ever. And since you've listened to 20 of my podcasts, you've heard me say that like 20 times. But anyways, so anyways, I, I, I'm st- we're standing up, right? You know, We're 15 years old. We're standing in front of that crowd. So when we pause, we start to get worried. We start to get anxious. Because when we pause, we think that it's a bad thing. Well, what do you mean, Brendan? When I pause, doesn't it mean that my audience thinks I have no clue what I'm talking about? That I have no clue what I have to say next? But that same space, that same pause, the best speakers in the world use as a weapon to make their presentations and the conversations that they have exceptional. So now that we understand that, how do we fix this? I always like to do the extreme exercise. So I I advocate for something called the long pause and stare. So long stares. So essentially what you do is you go up to somebody that you love in your house and you stare at them for three to five minutes. You can blink. It's totally fine. You just can't do anything else. You're not allowed to talk. For most people in my culture who tend to be a lot of the executives I coach, they can't do it. Like the, we're talking like vice presidents of technology, managers, like people with very successful careers in the corporate world, they just can't do it. They're just like, a, I, can't, I can't look at my wife. I can't look at my, for that long and just not say anything. So a lot of us struggle with this, Billy. But if you can pause for five minutes and not say a word and keep that focus and not make it look awkward, trust me, I struggled with that at the beginning too. I'm not some invincible person. I just did it earlier in life. That's all. When I go back to pausing for two seconds or three seconds, like I'm doing in this conversation, and as you have very well today, then I'm a lot more comfortable to stay in the pause. And the secret of the best speakers in the world is that we can pause forever and never make it seem awkward. But obviously, we don't have forever, so take my word for it. (laughs) Yeah, man. And I think it really hits home when you hear somebody that does it effectively. It's amazing because if you think about it, we are so married to this idea of not having any silence because we get nervous and our tendency is to replace that nervous energy with some filler word. But if we extract the filler words and instead of the filler words, 
we're just silent. The, the, the attention goes there. Speaking of attention, we're going to get into a, a couple more before we wrap up here. But one is we haven't talked much about YouTube. I'm just curious, as a YouTuber who's, who's seen success, and as you said, you started with the bare bones, just a, a phone in your basement. If you could go back in time, and it wasn't that long ago when you got started, but if you could go back in time and you could talk to yourself when you were first getting started, what would be three things that you would tell yourself to help make the journey either faster or better? Yeah, I'll be a bit cheeky here. I'll give one tip three times that people should remember, and I want them to hear this. Be a slave to your audience. Be a slave to your audience. Be a slave to your audience. Most content creators, when they get started, Billy, they go, oh, yeah, like I'm going to be like Joe Rogan. I'm <laughs> just like, okay, buddy. And then they, they look at me and they go, so have you been on podcasts a lot, Brendan? I was like, did you not like look me up on Spotify? It takes like two <laughs> seconds. Anyways, the point that I'm driving here, people. Sure. You know, I wasn't the smartest kid on the block. That was a stupid idea with MasterDog. But the one advantage I did have on the space is I was doing it. Oh, like I was really doing it. For not the money. Like, I had money. I was working. I still do. Like, you know, the job that I have right now is amazing. The reason I started Master Talk was because of the whole craziness that I won't go through again. The love letter, you know, like, you know, helping Julia and every other person like her master communication. But because I had that clear intention, I always was super empathetic to my audience. So every DM that I get, I never answer with the text. I always answer with the voice. Every single one. Right, that people, especially people who are fans and who reply and go, "Hey, Brendan, uh, you know, I really like your stuff." When, I, especially if it's a first message, I always voice. That's one. Two, first thousand subscribers. How did I get there? What's the magic? Going back to being a slave of your audience. I DM two thousand people. I had a huge network from case competitions. You know, I, I was the coach guy. So when I told people about what I was trying to do, they all supported. They said, "Yeah, yeah, let's share this." Back when I was doing it in my mother's basement, because I did one on one. One on one, every single time. I got to 1,000. What am I doing to get to 10,000? 10,000 podcast appearances, right? It's, it's one on one, right? You need to be a slave to your audience. You need to always put them first because for without your audience, you are nothing. You don't have anything. You have zero leverage and you don't have an idea of worth sharing. Mm. So that's where I always start the chapter with. I always start there. My friend told me that's not an insight for me. You just, and I was like, what do you mean? Be a slave to your audience. It's like, yeah. Doesn't matter. And I'll give you the best example. Best people in this space, number one person, in my opinion, is Gary Vee. Okay. And I always get emotional when I talk about this, but for those who don't realize, Gary Vee has a net worth of $250 million. Why in the F is he still spending time talking to the general public? Why does he do tea with Gary Vee? Talk like seriously. Let's have like an honest conversation here. Why is he with myself? Why is he? Talking to people who will never add value to his life an hour a day when he could be using that same hour talking to Kevin Hart, when he could be using that same hour talking to Dwayne Johnson. Why is he spending it with us? Because he's, he is the ultimate slave to his audience. He is the guy who says, I'm trying to build the biggest building in town to help people long after I'm gone. That is so important to me that I'm going to continue interacting with people who literally will give me negative value sometimes because they complain about their life and all that stuff to Gary. And he's still their therapist. Mm. Even if he has a flight in two hours, the dude will still spend 17 minutes signing books and say, oh, let's just like 
Delta the difference. Even if he's talking to the CEO of Campbell Soup or something, and some kid comes up to him and goes, Gary, can I get a photo? He goes, hey, could you wait a second? Yeah, sure, I'll take In what world is that realistic? He's crazy. And that's why I have so much respect for the guy and what he does. And I think he's an embodiment of how we should all be as content creators. The person I would hate to become, Billy, and especially the day that Mastruck does become really successful, when I, get, I am never going to say no to a picture as long as I can give it. I'm never going to say no to somebody who wants to, for me to like chat them really quickly. I have, to, I have to change the way that I prioritize my time. It's the nature of it. But it's just my audience is the reason I even get to be on this platform. Mm. They're the reason I get to do what I do. And I think to betraying them is just such a sin that you should never commit. I love your passion, man. And you, you say something with regards to a presentation that, that fits in this same vein, which is your presentation is owned by your audience. Is there anything that I'm missing or is that, are they similar in concept? Yeah, I'll tell you a short story that I haven't said in a long time. What do I mean by presentation is owned by your audience? So a couple of months ago, I gave probably like the most important keynote that I've given so far. It's like a group of four or 500 kids. It was like a, a kid's leadership program. So I practiced a lot for that one, Billy. I got my friends to come and, you know, critique my presentations. I was presenting my cousins. Like I was really ready, like nailed tight preparation. So I get there the day of the event, 20 minutes before the show, the guy comes up to me, uh, the gal, sorry. And she says, she's the director of the program. She goes, oh, by the way, Brandon, I forgot to tell you, but you got to give half of the presentation in French. <laughs> but I'm going on in 20 minutes. They're like, yeah, I figured it out. And I just went, oh. So most speakers in that situation, Billy, let's go say the following. Well, it's not my fault. Nobody told me, Billy. It's not my problem. Right? You know, they complain about their circumstance. They go, oh, yeah. But if you ask a top 1% speaker, like a seriously, a real, like OG top 1% speaker. What do you think about this situation? They'll look at you and they'll say the same thing. If they're honest, they'll say, I don't care. And then they'll be like, why don't you care? Because the audience matters. I'm not here to, to put on a show. I'm here because these kids spent 72 hours preparing a project that they think is going to make a difference in the world. But the only problem is that they don't think they can pitch it. And if I mess up, if I screw this up, if I don't do a good job, even if I give this presentation in Spanish, if I screw this up, I will reinforce the belief system. I will tell them all that you're right, you're terrible communicators, because I couldn't pull it off. This is what I mean, Billy. Owning the presentation and making the audience the goalpost, not yourself, means a lot more than just saying, think about your audience. It means never betray them because they put their heart and soul. They're giving you their most valuable asset time and betraying them is unacceptable. Like it's just not something I do. And it's not something every great speaker, everyone I've coached in my life is allowed to do. Right. So when you get to that place, that's when you really start getting to that world-class level as a speaker. Mm, it's not about you. It's about them. So to wrap up, brother, I, I want to give you an opportunity to share with the listeners something that I think really creates, in my mind, another deep level to who you are, and that is that you have invested in yourself. And what I mean by that is for years, you spent hours upon hours listening to podcasts, reading books. And so I want you're, you're a self-proclaimed podcast-aholic. And so- yeah. 
We know Lewis Howes is clearly top of the list. You've listened to him probably more than anyone else. And that's School of Greatness. So that one, check off the list. What are some of your other, and you've shared with me, but for the audience, what are some of your other favorite, favorite podcasts? And you could either talk episode or you could talk just show in general. And then what are your three favorite books? Yeah, absolutely. So, so for shows and, and books, if, if if you want more from me, you're happy to send me a message. I'm always happy to send more. But for now, I would say the big recommendations, definitely Seth Godin's Akimbo. I think Seth's a genius, honestly. I, I don't even know why he gives out this stuff for free. It literally makes no sense to me. But his podcast is definitely a must listen. I've listened to every single episode. It's something I enjoy doing every Wednesday. And it won't take you that long to go through all of them. But if you want specifics, I'm happy to recommend. That's one. The other show I'll recommend is Tom Bilyeu's Impact Theory. For those mm-hmm. of you who haven't seen Tom's interview with Gary Vaynerchuk, that is the golden standard on how one of the best guest like interviewers in the world does it. Like He was so good at interviewing Gary that Gary was just shocked. He was just sitting there like, how do you know this? Like It just makes no sense. It was crazy. It was nuts. And it was very beautiful for me to watch. So I highly recommend Tom's podcast and Seth Godin are definitely two that stick out. Books. I generally don't like to recommend three books because I know, speaking from the podcastaholic that I am, Billy, nobody buys three books, even if they love me. So I'll recommend one. The one book that I highly recommend you all read is Thirst by Scott Harrison. So now the question is, why? The reason is because Scott's one of the few people in the world who actually applies the knowledge that we talked about today. He's not some guy who just put, you know, like me, who puts on a whiteboard and goes, this is the tips that you should be following. Well, I also walk my own talk. I'm not saying I'm bad or anything, but what Scott did that was really interesting is he used these lessons, the storytelling principles, everything, and applied it to an organization. That's how he's been so successful. And I think it's one of the few stories of hope and optimism that's actually out there. Somebody who's solving a problem and actually killing it, like destroying it. I've taken away so many lessons from that book that I use in my storytelling workshops and the way that I approach my clients and the way that I I come to and show up for conversations like this. So I highly recommend uh, Thirst by Scott Harrison. Mm. I knew it was either going to be that or zero to one. So I haven't read Thirst, but I, I plan to. And I God, I would love, love, love to have him on the show. So my last question to you is a two-parter. Part one is, when are you writing your book? And part two is, what is the last message you want to leave the audience with? So let's talk more strategy. And this is true with TEDx, because a lot of people have asked me, why haven't I done one yet? All of it's strategic. If you're thinking on 20, 30-year-long plays, you're thinking a lot more about what your 10-year vision is. This is kind of like a trick that I give people that I got from uh, Alex Becker, actually. He says most people don't write 10-year goals, and I completely agree. The reason why 10-year goals are super effective is because it allows you to think very big. So I'm not going to share all of my 10-year goals because or else it just sounds cocky since I haven't fulfilled them yet. But you know, a couple of them is you know, be a big thought leader, do big things. That's why I haven't wrote the book yet. I'm actually going to make, work wait a decade before I actually go there, and then I'm going to go straight for the list. But uh, the, the idea is uh, I'm definitely going to be very patient with that. And, and just to give you an idea, I haven't told you this either. Like, there's a reason why Lewis hasn't done his TED Talk yet. He's patient. He wants to make sure that when he does it, he nails it and it gets 10 million views. That's why he's still been patient. Even after all this time, when he's probably has 50 invitations, he still hasn't done it. Second part, last tip for the audience. So I know we talked about this before, but I always love ending my shows with this, uh, with this quote. And the quote is simple, especially for those of you who have stuck it for this long. The advice is, be insane or be the same. If you want to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. 
But if you made it this far, 94 minutes of this conversation, you're still listening to what we have to say. The only advice that matters is the following. The only way to do great things is to be maniacally insane. There's no other way. Don't you find it odd that a 22-year-old kid like me started a YouTube channel? Uh, Not on pranks or comedy blogs or skits, something that was normal but rather executive and communication tips. Then he went on to coach some of the biggest executives in the world the year after, but still lives in his mother's basement, doesn't own a car, karaoke's in all these languages, loves Justin Bieber, and does all these things. So how does that make any sense? And that, my friends, is the point. When every decision in your life makes sense to the only person that matters, which is you, you're probably going to be successful. I looked at life, right, and Scott Harrison specifically, and I said, I found it crazy when I was looking at all of the communication stuff that he was doing, that he didn't have access to the best speakers in the world, the best speech coaches to guide him to be a great speaker. And then I saw all of these things and it drove me insane. I just said, how is it that the best ideas in the world aren't being coached by the best speakers in the world, the best coaches in the world. And it's that dichotomy that drove me to the point of insanity. And that's why I became insane. So my Mm. advice to all of you is what is that thing for you? What is that cupcake recipe? What is that family? Maybe you want to spend a week with your family every single week. Whatever that thing is, you'll only find it if you make the decision to stop being like everyone else. So powerful, brother. And I told you this when we first met. I go, I feel like I'm meeting somebody who will be extraordinarily famous for the work that you're doing. And I'm grateful that you were able to share on this show so many valuable insights. For those that want to support you and to find you, the first thing is to support Charity Water. It's not your organization, but it's an organization you believe in. And it's one of the two areas that you're focused on. And I know that you were really involved with the launch of the book and 10% of, I think those early launch shells are attributed to a a lot of the work that you uh, helped to to do. Your website is mastertalk.ca. Your YouTube channel is mastertalks with an S. So it's youtube.com forward slash C forward slash master talks. Then you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook. I met you through a mutual connection. Shout out to Sam, which I love. By the way, we didn't even talk about this, but I love how you you didn't have a, a tiff, but you, Sam said something about charisma on demand. And you're like, and nothing against charisma on demand, but uh, it was a funny, funny interchange that I uh, exchanged that you guys had. But I love that. You're also on Twitter. Where else can people find you? And what would be most valuable for them to know in terms of how they could work with you or learn from you and the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. And you pretty much nailed all the handles. The only thing I would add is you're right. I just got unlucky with the master talks thing. So my the when you type the URL, it's master talks. But if you want to actually find me, it's master talk. So when you type in the search engine, just type it without the S. But it, like you said, you're right. Like it's bizarre how the thing shows up. I know. I saw that. Yeah. 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 So just type master talk in one word and you'll find me. And if you want to message me, you can find my everything there. Brilliant. Well, I'm so grateful for you being on the show. And for those listening, if you took one thing away from this episode is don't be afraid to be insane. Brendan, thanks for being on Inside Out. Of course, you did an awesome job. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. 
If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.